So is it okay if I tell you that I just love coming to church here? <laughs> wow, what a morning already, huh? Pastor, how could he? I've heard that question posed to me exactly that way too many times. Maybe a twist on the question that I've also heard is, Pastor, how could she? I wish I could recall how many times I've entertained that question with people who approach me through the years because of the unfaithfulness of a spouse. How could he? It is a question of the day for us. It's not always asked exactly that way. Sometimes it's not even put in the form of a question, but rather as an attacking kind of a statement. But no matter how many variations there may be, there is that question that lingers for so many people today that is one of abandonment and treachery. How could he? There's always that question, it seems. There's always that question just kind of hovers outside the doors of pastor's offices. Whether it's in the church family itself or maybe in our society at large where we, we find this ongoing activity that divides families because of appetites that have gone horribly, sinfully wrong. That's a common question, not just in our churches, but outside of our churches. I could cite statistics for you this morning. I'll save you that and just ask you to step into your own memory and think of those people and those faces of family members who have stepped into this arena of the betrayal of a spouse. Ours is a time that needs an appetite fix because the appetites of ourself and the appetites of the way we want to live our lives so often seems to get off base and so we get into and we fall into and we step into and sometimes we even run into affairs it's amazing the way we have code words that settle out for us and soften the biblical term for adultery cheating it's an affair well, it's just a little bit of having fun. It's just a little bit of wandering. Scripture calls it by different names. Scripture calls it adultery. And it is one of those things that we must really watch. Because even though most of us would sit here today, or at least I hope that most of us would sit here today and say, well, that's not really my problem, uh, then I would say to you, stay tuned, because by the time we get to the end of this message today, we may find this is a bigger problem for us than what we want to allow. But at the root of it all, adultery occurs because appetites have gone away. It, it's, well, let's put it this way. It's like... That Maybe it was the original manna in the Old Testament. I don't really know about that. But consider, if you will, being so hungry that you'll eat just about anything, and so you sit down and consume an entire box of Snickers bars. It'll fill you up, but it'll wreck you before it's all said and done. Augustine of Hippo, one of the great 
theological voices of church history was a recovering sex addict. As a matter of fact, Augustine of Hippo was not anything close to being a bishop. In his younger life, he struggled with sexual desires and those kind of things that come with it and lust. And we find this statement that he gave us at the age of 16. He says that the frenzy gripped me and I surrendered myself entirely to lust. By the time he was 18 and a student in Carthage, he said this, sex had become an obsession From a perverted act of will, desire had grown, and when desire is given satisfaction, habit is formed, and when habit passes unresisted, a compulsive urge sets in. It sounds like Augustine could have been a 21st century American news writer. For many of us, this appetite gets us in trouble. Augustine would go on to say one of those famous sayings of Augustine that will help us work our way through this sermon today. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our hearts, mine and yours, have a tendency of scavenging in some really dangerous places. And we fill our lives with stuff and images and activities. As we seek out God to take Augustine's words, as we find our hearts restless for God, we scavenge in places that are not really healthy for us at all, and we begin to fill our lives with all of these things that ultimately are Snickers bars that fill us for a while but leave our bodies and our relationships and ultimately our spiritual life totally wrecked with God. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. As we step into another uh, piece of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is relentless with us. He will not allow us to slip into just that pharisaical kind of religious approach that just says it's, it's what I do and what I don't do that matters. Jesus will not let us off that easily. And so he takes us another step past the Beatitudes where he says effectively to us, congratulations to you who have these particular conditions in your life. And in those Beatitudes, as we have been studying on Sunday nights, we know that those fall into two halves. The first four deal with our relationship with God. And he says, congratulations to you who are spiritually bankrupt because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And we step into God's life when we recognize that we have nothing of our own to bring and we accept Christ for who he is. But the second half of those Beatitudes deal with our relationships with people. Blessed are the merciful, for instance. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, as he introduces the whole thing with the Beatitudes, lays this foundation that becomes the thread that pulls the whole sermon together. Ours are lives of relationship. First with God, the vertical relationship. Secondly, with fellow people, the horizontal relationships. And Jesus will tell us time and again going through this that if the vertical gets messed up, we don't have a chance of getting the horizontal right. And so he steps back for just a moment. 
And he lays out the fundamental truth that drives the whole thing. That's chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's got to be more, he says, than just a rote, mechanical, robotic kind of checking off religious boxes and doing the right things. We saw over the last two weeks, as Jesus gets really straight up with us. He says this formula, I, I know that you've heard that it was said this, but I say to you this. So he starts with murder, the one that most people could easily say, well, whew, boy, I'm off the hook, not me. You've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but Jesus then jumps into the way we live our lives, and he takes it from the external action to the heart part of it when he says, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. Jesus is relentless. He will not allow us to reduce the Christian life to just a bunch of boxes that we check off. Augustine was right, as it turns out. Our hearts are restless. And as right as he was, he wasn't the last one to catch it. We had a song this morning where the hymn writer locks down for us this tendency for us to just wander around and scavenge in places with our heart when he says to us, the hymn writer does, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Jesus taps into our heart problems that express themselves as appetite problems. When he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And with this, Jesus just kind of settles in with us on some of the problems that seem to be rampant in 21st century American life. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, really, that Jesus spoke these words centuries ago And yet, it's almost as if he could be sitting here with us talking about the local headlines of the past week. Our hearts are restless. Our appetites go away. What happens when our restless heart wanders? Maybe another way to ask that question is, what manner of sin are you capable of committing? Okay, that's probably a little too direct. So let's think about the person sitting next to you. What kind? That's probably way too direct. What manner of sin are we capable of committing when we let the sexual appetite of our culture have its way? I, I know that in many churches, preachers aren't supposed to talk about this topic. But I figure I'm on good grounds if Jesus did, so let's go ahead and jump in. What do you say? Think about the news headlines this week. Remember, the question is, what manner of sin are we capable of committing if we let 
our restless hearts scavenge in places where 21st American society says it's okay. I'm going to be quick to say before I start, because we are going to be on TV, that what I'm about to say is alleged offenses. But the news reports of our day include a power broker in American society by the last name of Weinstein, who allegedly allowed the appetite to become sinister as it relates to his behavior with people. Through the course of this week, knowing what I was going to be preaching today, I decided that I would pay special attention to the news. And so I've heard, not just on the news, although we have it all the time on the news, uh, incidents of sexual abuse, of people in positions of power, school teachers, for instance, who at least allegedly uh, let their appetites go into places where they should never be, and they find themselves living on the outside, on the wrong side of the law. What manner of sin are you capable of? Am I capable of? Let me me see if I can lay it out for you this way because I know that our tendency is to kind of come into church and we're good church people and we're good citizens and all that and and we we like to convince ourselves that we're really uh, kind of immune to some of these kind of things that we see on the news. You just need to know you're not. You see, the sin nature that is in us, and I'm going to come back to this discussion again before this message is over, but the sin nature that is in us, that one that says, I'll be God, I'll call the shots, and if I need God's help, then I'll pull him in as one of my support mechanisms. But that sin nature, the one that says, I'll be God, is the one that positions us to make horrible choices. Because the sin nature that lives for itself, by extension, begins to use other people. How far can you go wrong? I told you enough of my story when I came. I'm not going to repeat it for you. But I can tell you this, that I I had these, these places, these barriers in my life. Well, I'll do this. I'll experiment a little bit here. But I would never do that. And then I get to that boundary, and all of a sudden it seems like it's a little more tolerable and a little more acceptable, so I'll just let that boundary fall, and I'll set another boundary out there. What happens is we get to the boundaries, and we just let them fall one after the other. Let's say it this way. If I'm going to try to walk from the front here to the back, if I really want to get there in the best possible way, then I'll just walk straight But in the process of doing that, if I start here and just walk straight, I'll get where I'm trying to go. But if I turn sideways just this this much and take a step here instead of a step there, then I'm this far out of line, which is fine. When you're this close, it seems to be fine anyway. Not that big a deal. But you add 20 steps to that, and look how far off base I am. You add 20 miles to that, and look how far away from the standard I've gotten. We can sit in church all day long and say, you know what, this sexual stuff that we're going to be talking about here, the sexual stuff of our society, uh, the adultery that Jesus is talking about here, I'm, I'm not, uh, it's not a problem for me. Wrong. All it takes 
is to get off base one step and not correct, and then you'll end up in places you never dreamed you would go. I can't tell you how many people through the years have sat in my office or I've sat in their homes. How could he, Pastor? How could she do this to me, Pastor? What happens when our wonder, our heart, or excuse me, what happens when our restless hearts wander? Maybe we should ask the children of broken families. Maybe we should ask the parents of adult children. Maybe we should look around and read the headlines. But you see, the deal is we, we, we have in our society, we, we have this messed up way of thinking that somehow there's certain elements of that that are okay and some are not. That's why simple adultery doesn't make the news headlines, but indecency with a child does. It's not that either one of those are right. It's actually it's that both are wrong. We're capable of inflicting incredible damage on people with the way we behave. I guess we ought to get to the text, huh? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, again, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. And so with murder, we may think that we're off the hook here. Most of us, I expect, would sit here, although probably not as many who could say, I haven't ever done murder, but we're probably off the hook at this point. But Jesus continues to push. He continues to dig. There is this umbrella under which we are operating here that it can be summed up this way. The fruit is a product of the root. So Jesus says in verse 28, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We had a, at our house in Lumberton. We still own a house in Lumberton, for those of you who are wondering. It hasn't sold yet. Uh, maybe we should drop the price off of a million dollars. I don't know. But in the back part of that yard of that house, of that property, is a fig tree that has gone crazy. Now, I'm not a fig fan, just so you know. But uh, if I was, that's the tree I would want. Because that, fig produce, uh, that tree produces figs like crazy. What I want it to produce is apples, because I love apples. And every day I'd go out there and look for an apple on that tree. Never made it. You know why? Because the fruit is a product of the root. The root is a fig root. It produces figs. And in our daily lives, Jesus is saying where your heart is, that's the root. That's where you can expect to see fruit. He's relentless. He just won't let us off. As a matter of fact, this is only the second of these six different statements that Jesus is going to make to us about you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. He just keeps pressing down on us because he wants us to understand that our heart is restless and it scavenges in places that are destructive, not only for us in our relationship with God, but also in our relationships with other people. So Jesus pushes into this. You know that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I say to you that if you look, and I'm going to put it in my terms here, maybe a little more of a literal translation, but I say to you that anyone, everyone who looks with intent, who lingers in his visual 
inventory. By the way, ladies, you're not off the hook here. He writes it this way for some particular reasons tied to first century Jewish religious life, but you're not off the hook. It's that lingering look. Reminds me of the story I heard, probably a preacher's story, so it can't be true. But the story goes, it, it could be true, it could actually be happening even in churches all across America today. The story is of a guy and his wife who are out shopping. Boy, I'm sure glad that they put benches at shopping centers for those of us who wait for our wives to shop. But this guy was accompanying his wife, and as they walked along through the mall or shopping center, uh, they were talking and they were side by side and all that, and suddenly this woman comes by who um, was uh, easy on the eyes, actually. And so, while he's walking and his wife is talking to him, he does this. I would do it, but I don't want to fall off the steps. Uh, and he watches her, and then when she's out of sight, he turns around to see his wife <laughs> looking at him, and she says this, I hope that what you got out of that was worth what it's going to cost you. <laughs> Jesus does something with this. He takes that seventh commandment. He's still in the Ten Commandments. You notice that. He takes the seventh one, you shall not commit adultery, and he grabs the tenth one and he pulls it in. Now, you can go back and look at those passages. They're over in the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy. But the seventh one is you shall not commit adultery. The tenth one is you shall not covet, including your neighbor's wife. Jesus steps into first. No, let's make that 21st century life. And he calls it what it is. Our hearts are restless, and we scavenge in dangerous places. Jesus shows that adultery and lust have a personal effect. They have an interpersonal effect. That's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about anyway. Jesus is saying, if you're to, leave, to live brilliant lives, lives that are salt and light in a world that has gone horribly wrong because of sin, if we're to be brilliant in the way we live our lives, we have to get the heart right. So Jesus is not going to let us just live on the surface like the scribes and the Pharisees where we just have everything right and we can puff our chest up and walk around like, yes, I have got it together. Jesus says, before you say that, let's check your heart a little bit. There's a turn in this. It's a bit of a sinister turn for us because it's possible. I, I, I'm not going to give you too much credit here, but it's possible that some of us sitting in this room today have kicked the lust problem too. Not guilty of adultery. Don't have a problem with lust. I'm good. We should be careful about that. We should be careful about that because with this little 
section, just four short verses, Jesus taps into an Old Testament minor prophet, gotcha. In the book of Hosea, Hosea the prophet is given a directive from God. I'm just going to read it for you. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom, a prostitute in other words, and have children of whoredom. Here's the reason. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. In other words, God said to his prophet, look, as a living message, as a life metaphor in front of my people who have abandoned me, they are my bride and they have chosen another. They have forsaken me is what God says to Hosea there. He says to Hosea, go and find yourself a prostitute and marry her as a living example to my people of a heart gone wrong. The sinister turn for us in this is that we're all guilty. We all have our mistresses, spiritually speaking. Some of those mistresses or boyfriends drive wedges in our relationships with our spouses. That mistress might look like a job, might look like a hobby. um, Let me just stop there for a second. Uh, One of the greatest people in my life is here today, and he's a great golfer. Um, I had a chance to play golf not too long ago. It's ugly. It was extremely ugly. But I think Dr. Manning was the one who told me this many years ago. It might not have been him but I'm going to give him credit for it since he's here today. If you're a preacher and pastor of a church and you shoot scores in the 70s, that means you're neglecting your church. If you shoot scores over 100, that means you're neglecting your golf and you got to get the balance right somewhere in there. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what he shoots, but he's not a pastor, so it's all good, right? (laughs) You know, some of us entertain our mistress, our hobby, and we put a lot more effort in that than we do into our marriages. Our hearts scavenge in dangerous places. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our family. See, now this gets a little bit dicey for us. But you realize, don't you, that it's possible to marginalize God in your life because of your family? In the name of your family, you can say to God, I'll get to you later because I got to do this now. We all have our mistresses in the final analysis. Here's why I pull this into this text. I need to finish this up, so let me get you to listen quickly here. Did you notice what Jesus said relative to the consequences here? When it gets right down to it, we all really know that we shouldn't commit adultery and that we shouldn't have lust in our hearts. We know that. But look at the way Jesus puts the consequence out, verse 29 and 30. He gives parallel, mirror kind of statements here. The consequence is that you be thrown into hell. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let me just stop for a minute because sometimes Jesus is such an effective teacher that he throws stuff out there and it's deeper than what we think on the surface. So let's think about this very quickly. Is he saying that if we don't get lust checked in our hearts, then we're going to hell? I think that's bad theology, so I don't think that's what he's saying. Is he saying that if we have this problem, if, if I just pluck out an eye, gouge it out, then I don't have any trouble with lust anymore? Pirates must have had great success. You catch what I'm driving at here? There's more to this than what it looks like on the surface. You and I both know that just plucking out an eye or cutting off a hand doesn't fix a restless heart. And lust, well, let me say it this way. The deed of sin is not what sends you to hell. It's the sin nature that sends you to hell, right? Everybody go like this. That's right, okay? So what Jesus is saying here is more than just this surface thing. Okay, so what he's saying is I, I should pluck out an eye, which is another way of saying he just, you know, be, be drastic in the way you attack your problem. That's what he's saying. It's hyperbole here. He's pushing it to us, saying to us, if you know you have a problem that separates you from God, fix it. But what we're saying through this whole thing, what he's saying through this thing, is it's a heart problem. And the only way you fix, oh, by the way, a heart problem will get you sent to hell because Jesus gives you a new heart when he comes in, a new life. He's saying to us, fix the problem. Don't just address the, the circumstantial evidence of it. Don't just address the, the surface like the scribes and Pharisees. Fix the problem, and the problem is the heart. If you have a lust problem and it's filtered into the relationships of your life, the only thing that fixes that is a heart transplant. And some of you may be saying, okay, yeah, but I'm a Christian and I still fight this. I, I have a friend of mine in another place, another town. He's one of the leaders of his church and he regularly says, man, I got this problem. I, I like pretty women. Well, okay. Why are you telling me that? And the answer was, I need help with this. I have a restless heart. So Jesus says, take drastic measures, as drastic as they need to be, to fix the restless heart. Frank Laubach, one of the great writers of the early 20th century, missionary in the Philippines and served many years there dealing with Muslims and trying to take the good news of Jesus Christ into a place. He was alone, and, and he's, he just has written incredible stuff. Letters by a modern mystic are some personal reflections that he made. In 1930, January 29th, he wrote this, and it fits what we're talking about today. I seem to have to make sure of only one thing now, 
And every other thing takes care of itself, or I prefer to say what is more true, that God takes care of all the rest. Here it is. My part is to live this hour in continuous inner conversation with God and in perfect responsiveness to his will to make this hour gloriously rich. This, all, this seems to be all I need to think about. In other words, what he's saying with that is, I'll put it in our terms today, if my passion is for Jesus Christ, my heart gets right. To, to take Augustine's quote, we find rest for our restless hearts with, with Christ. There's the fix for a society that is bent towards sexual promiscuity and license. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. We have hearts that are restless. Have you found rest in Christ? If you know him as your Savior, have you found the victory that you need over the heart problems, whether it's anger or lust, and we'll get to some other ones before it's all said and done here. Have you found the freedom that he gives you? Put your appetites to him. We talk about suppressing our appetites by taking chemicals and all kinds of stuff like that. The sexual problem of our society, the only effective suppressant for that appetite is a relationship with Jesus Christ that is vibrant every day. And we walk with him every day. And he fills us up every day. And we stop using people and we start loving people. And it's not about us anymore. It's about him. And it's about them. And it's an incredible thing. Let's pray. And as we pray and go to this time of invitation... Father, we ask that you would change lives and change hearts for your glory. If there are those here today who do not know you as their personal Savior, we ask that at this moment you would, through your Spirit, you would begin to tug their hearts, that they would find rest in you today. For those of us who have known you for some of us many, many years, and we continue to struggle with these heart problems that take us into dangerous places, we ask that you would give victory today in this moment and give us the clear thinking, the determination, and the grace we need to allow you to be God of our lives every moment of every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and let's sing invitation time for you. Come. Lord, I come.